entering the Freedom Hut. A Trump tweet triggers the libs. Did the inspector general in the intelligence community change the rules for whistleblowers at a very convenient time? What's up with uh, John Durham's Ukrainian leads and how could that affect Biden? Plus, there is new information about emissions from planes that'll make you realize that all this climate change stuff is pretty crazy. That and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission. is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me on this uh, fantastic Monday. I hope it's fantastic. I have a feeling that uh, there will be... Some very, very nasty political back and forth going on. That's for sure. It's not a surprise. Uh, you have this fight over the whistleblower now extending into territory that I think is a... Uh, it, it couldn't be any more obvious that we are in an entirely partisan fight here. It has really nothing to do with the law. If anything, it's the Democrats undermining the rule of law and deciding that Rules don't really matter when power is at stake. And if Trump is the one who currently has power, anything you have to do to push him aside, anything you have to do to make sure he is no longer going to be president is on its face, automatically justified. But there was one piece that hit over the weekend uh, from The Federalist. And I've got to tell you, The Federalist has been doing some excellent work on this recently. And it had to do with the inspector general report, the whistleblower. And here's what we know. It is now uh, it is now the case. It is now known that, as my uh, friend Sean Davis here writes, the intel community secretly gutted the requirement of firsthand knowledge when it comes to a whistleblower complaint. This is why last week I started to say that this was a hearsay complaint, which would also explain why there were so many different factual errors in it. The person didn't really hear the conversation, heard about a conversation that someone else heard about, or perhaps was on the call directly, we don't know, but it was not firsthand information. And this is why... This little tidbit, for those that that laugh, who think that the notion of a deep state is some kind of a joke, they would need to explain to me why this would have happened in this way. Ah, calling all the coincidence theorists out there, not conspiracy theorists, because the conspiracy seems quite clear to me. Here's what Sean writes at thefederalist.com. Between May 2018 and August 2019, The intelligence community secretly eliminated a requirement that whistleblowers provide direct, first-hand knowledge of alleged wrongdoings. This raises questions about the intelligence community's behavior regarding the August submission of a whistleblower complaint against President Donald Trump. The new complaint document no longer requires potential whistleblowers who wish to have their concerns expedited to Congress to have direct, first-hand knowledge of the alleged wrongdoing that they are reporting. The brand new version of the whistleblower complaint form 
which was not made public until after the transcript of Trump's July 25th phone call with the Ukrainian president and the complaint addressed to Congress were made public, eliminates the firsthand knowledge requirement and allows employees to file whistleblower complaints, even if they have zero direct knowledge of underlying evidence and only heard about wrongdoing from others. Really? Does anyone want to venture that that's just happenstance? How often do you think in recent years they have amended the form for whistleblowers? How often do you think in recent years they've changed what what the for the purposes of the intelligence community inspector general, what classifies as a whistleblower? I'm willing to guess this is a rare occurrence. I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to tell you that it is a rare occurrence. So then we have to ask the question, why now? Why did it happen in this way? Well, it's quite obvious, isn't it? There are people inside the federal bureaucracy, and we know this. We know this from Comey and Strzok and Page and Brennan and Clapper and McCabe and Yates. Remember, Sally Yates refused to do her job as acting attorney general while they were waiting to get a real attorney general of Trump's choosing in the role. Obstruct and resist. This is a a rallying cry that we have seen from some of the top elements of the federal bureaucracy. And eventually we have to come to grips with the possibility that our bureaucratic overlords really do think that they and not the people we vote for hold power under the Constitution. That they would subvert the very system that they claim to be protecting. Did you see anything like this during the eight years of the Obama administration? If I asked you for a single, a solitary, senior level national security official who broke regulation and even broke law, as we see with Andy McCabe, the former FBI director, in order to do something damaging to President Obama, do you think you could think of one? Oh, no. The only thing that perhaps comes close would be the comments of some of the senior officers around General Stan McChrystal during a time of war, by the way, when McChrystal was a very highly regarded theater commander and a Rolling Stone journo recklessly and just shamelessly uh, decided to print what was really just idle side chatter and gossip about how McChrystal thought that that Obama didn't really know anything about the military and didn't really know anything about national security. By the way, fact check, true, he didn't, especially at that time. But that was considered a uh, a swipe, a a slap at the commander-in-chief, and McChrystal was relieved of duty. But there was no effort to subvert. There was there was no one coming forward leaking highly sensitive stuff, uh, lying to inspector generals, and in this case, as we see now, changing the rules so that somebody could be weaponized as a, quote, whistleblower, all in order to embarrass this president. I go back to the Federalist here by Sean Davis. The internal properties of the newly revised disclosure of urgent concern form, which the intelligence community inspector general requires to be submitted on the, under the Intelligence Community Whistleblower Protection Act, show the document was uploaded on September 24th, 2019, just days before the anti-Trump complaint was declassified and released to the public. 
The complaint alleges that Donald Trump broke the law, et cetera, et cetera. A previous version of the whistleblower complaint document, which the ICIG and DNI until recently provided to potential whistleblowers, declared that any complaint must contain only firsthand knowledge of alleged wrongdoing and that complaints provide only hearsay, rumor, or gossip would be rejected. Anyone want to take a guess at whether that's a coincidence? Oh, they just happened to change this because if the bureaucracy had internal hurdles to the weaponization of this whistleblower complaint against Trump, well, that's a big problem, isn't it? The reason they went this route instead of just leaking to the press is that they like to create this narrative of, oh, we're respecting the process. This is coming from within. Oh, this is a, an expert, the New York, New York Times claims, on Ukraine, a highly you know, trained intelligence professional of some kind. Right? They're doing this is the Blasey Ford playbook. But instead of for a Supreme Court confirmation for a so-called whistleblower complaint against the president of the United States. The circumstance here is obvious and it is shameful. We should look at this and understand exactly what has happened here. Democrats really were banking on using the Mueller report as the blueprint for Trump's impeachment. The problem with that is normal people look at it and say, if they can't even tell us what the offense is, if they can't even say the president broke the law here, but we can't charge the president, how upset are we really supposed to be? And by the way, if they made that claim about the president breaking any specific law in the Mueller report, they would have opened themselves up to the repudiation of saner legal minds coming around and saying, ah, that's not even close to never mind being provable, but even being chargeable. Good luck with that. So instead, they left it vague and open-ended. Weissman, who really wrote the Mueller report, not Mueller, tried to hand it off to Congress. Congress dithered. Why did Congress dither for months after the Mueller report? Because they were waiting to see what the public perception of this would be and how much their little lackeys in the media would be able to drum up and, and create this sense that, oh, gosh, there needs to be impeachment of Trump to hold them accountable. Wasn't working. So they found this. This whistleblower, my friends, had help, had help writing this, drafting this, strategizing around this. I'm sure Adam Schiff was involved in those conversations. And who knows how many high-powered, anti-Trump, left-wing lawyers in the swamp in D.C. were also a part of it. They've been lying to you already. You know that. The media has said things about this phone call that were not true, and they do not correct them. The media also pretends with just... It's stupefying to see this. The stupidity that they project is stupefying in and of itself. That $50,000 a month for Hunter Biden while his dad is point man on Ukraine policy, that, that anyone who thinks that this is not just shady, it's 100% shady, but cause for real investigation is crazy. No, 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 I'm sorry. They don't get to set up endless investigations of anyone they want, of Trump and anyone around him, and shut down any investigation of anyone they don't want. They have weaponized the law enforcement process for politics. That's been one of their primary avenues of obstructing and attacking Trump and those around him. Now that Trump says, you know what? I'm the commander in chief. The Department of Justice works for me. And there's a completely legitimate predicate for looking into Hunter Biden's actions in Ukraine. You know what the response to that is from the left? Just 
gnashing of teeth and wailing in the streets and freaking out and screaming about treason and the betrayal of our democracy. Here's a, here's a new rule we should institute on the Buck Sexton Show. Anytime you hear a Democrat say someone's betraying our democracy, it means they're using emotion in place of an argument and they have nothing else. It means they're weak and they're cornered and they're caught and they know it. Uh, but the whistleblower rules had to change. Just like the rules about showing your taxes before you can be president or run for president in a certain state, that has to change. The same people who change and break laws will turn around on the left, these Democrats, the same day and tell you how much they respect the law. They are shameless. Like Adam Schiff, who says this wasn't partisan. Utterly without shame. We are in a fight. This is a political war. Make no mistake about it. They don't care about the process. They don't care about the Constitution. There's no willingness to engage in fair play. There's no decent conduct we can expect from the left. So strap in, put on a helmet, and get ready for things to be rough. When I announced I was running, I said that uh, I was, uh, we we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I said our core values, our very democracy was at risk. And uh, I doubt whether anybody here today doubts that to be the case. Folks, uh, we have a president who's violated his oath of office, a president who has put at risk our national security. How, Joe Biden? How? In, in what way has the president done these things you say? You will notice this week the histrionics will be truly epic. You will have Democrats saying things like Trump has betrayed his country. Trump has betrayed his oath of office. Tantamount to treason. Perhaps we'll say we'll hear that again like we did from John Brennan a couple of years ago. Brennan, I should note, put out a, a tweet over the weekend, which was really an open call for another bureaucrat soft coup. Brennan said more or less, hey, just so you know, there's no limit to how many whistleblowers can come forward. So he just wants people inside the bowels of the, of the bureaucracy to find information, twist it in some way, and try to then take it to the Democrats in Congress. Oh, there we go. Because they've already tried the leaks. They've done leaks to the press. Just ask General Flynn. They've done the, we'll commit felonies to stop Trump. They've, they've already gone that route. Not enough. Now they're trying to use the process and the whistleblower protections that they've changed in order to use them against Trump. Biden says he has put our national security at risk. How? I would like someone, if, if we had a real media, and we don't, because 90% of the news media are partisans, they are activists who are pretending to be journalists, and they do a great disservice to this country because most Americans rely on the news media to be an informed part of the electorate. Well, if the news media is willing to lie about all of these things and be difficult when we try to push them for where did you get this idea? Why do you think that you're not biased? Oh, they get so huffy about it. It's very hard for most people who are trying to live their lives to chase down real information. If you're listening to this show, congrats, you managed to chase down real information. But there are a lot of people out there who don't. And the media is incredibly dishonest. If they weren't so dishonest, they would ask someone like Joe Biden, um, how exactly has President Trump put at risk our national security? That's a bold claim. That's a major thing to say. Why can't, oh, perhaps also it should be noted 
that the Javelin anti-tank missiles that were discussed briefly on that phone call, that Zelensky, President Zelensky said, they were about to buy more of, the Obama administration was unwilling to sell those anti-tank Javelin missiles to the Ukrainians. And we are told and have been for years that it is Trump who is the one who is in Putin's pocket. Really? Trump will do things that Obama was scared to do explicitly because it would upset Putin. Right? Obama wouldn't do these things because Obama was scared that it would make the Russians mad. Trump will send these missiles, sell these missiles, probably give them a nice discount if they buy in bulk, to the uh, Ukrainians. And you'll notice the narrative about Trump as Putin's puppet. They've never gone back to revisit that. They've never said, hold on a second, maybe we should give more thought to this. So there we have it. Once again, the press, it was useful for a time. What they were saying was useful and now what they're saying isn't so or rather now what they would have to say about that issue isn't useful so they move on to something else it is stunning that joe biden is the democrats leading candidate and and it should show you this is this is what we're really dealing with they like biden so much just because yeah there's a little bit of obama nostalgia there but biden is clearly not a particularly sharp guy at all but he is palatable enough to independent voters and centrists that they think maybe the Democrats can do what they always do and fool just enough of the electorate to thinking that they're not a party of left-wing socialist wackos so that they'll have a presidency for at least four years and they can start to undo all of the things that President Trump has been doing that has, has made your life and my life easier and better. Every American deserves to confront their accuser. So this is a sham as far as I'm concerned. I want to know who told the whistleblower about the phone call. I want to know why they changed the rules about whistleblowers, not the hearsay rule was changed just a short period of time before the complaint was filed. The complaint uh, sounds like a legal document. Who helped him? Who helped this guy write it or this girl write it? We're not going to try the president of the United States based on hearsay. Every American has the right to confront their accuser. And yet the media is working very hard to make sure that no one really finds out very much at all about this person. Look at the zeal with which, for example, that Des Moines Register reporter went after the old tweets of a private citizen who had become a a short-term public figure merely for the purposes of raising millions of dollars for a children's hospital. Look at how, uh, you know, a, a journo, and he's not alone in this. A lot of other journos would have taken the same approach because they are spiteful, nasty, and in their minds, underpaid and underappreciated people. But they need to go after every fact, every bit of information when it's useful to the narrative. When it's not, all of a sudden you see a, a much more lackadaisical approach from the left-wing media. Who is this whistleblower? Isn't this so interesting? Does this person really expect to go back to the bowels of the bureaucracy and just have a normal paper-shuffling bureaucratic life? Of course not. In fact, we've already seen that there are public fundraising efforts on behalf of the whistleblower and for his legal defense. I said it as soon as this happened. I stand by it. I think it is very likely that I am correct. We'll have to see. The whistleblower's identity will become publicly known, and the whistleblower at that point will be treated as a hero of the resistance, will be given at least a six-figure, if not seven-figure book advance, probably six figures, but, and will 
very possibly, if not just be a regular guest on CNN and MSNBC, become a contributor at one of those networks. And you might say, well, what if the person's not that interesting, not that good at TV, doesn't have that much to say? Uh, to that, I would respond, look at all the people CNN and MSNBC already have on who are part of the resistance. Boring, repetitive, uninteresting, not knowledgeable, but they serve a purpose. And one of the purposes of media, left-wing media dominance is to show people that if you are useful to the narrative overall, you will be taken care of. You will get speaking engagements and book deals and contributor contact, uh, contracts, even if you're as lame and boring as Comey's little assistant who I see on CNN all the time. Guy's never said anything worthwhile or interesting in his life on television, but CNN's got him there. Why? Because he was part of Comey's squad. Uh, he's doing, doing the defense. It's propped up as a defense of the FBI. No, it's a defense of James Comey. The FBI doesn't really need defending. I mean, we know that there's some bad apples there, but no, no one's worried about the you know, kidnapping investigations that the Omaha office of the FBI is doing these days. We wish them well and we thank them for their service to all of us, right? It's just the bureaucrats, the deep state swamp folks in D.C. and the people at the top of the bureaucracy, that's where we have the questions. And that's where the left knows they can exert power, so they will defend those people in whatever way they can. But the whistleblower is now getting the Blasey Ford treatment. I, I had to be reminded of this recently by my friend, uh, oh gosh, I don't even know who reminded me, it was someone on Twitter, that you will recall Blasey Ford at one point, who was uh, just being hailed as, as a, a feminist superhero by the mainstream media, but was making some very strange claims. Like for one, she needed a second door put on her house because during renovations. You'll remember this, a second door put on her house during renovations and that, that need, and this is now based on something that happened 30 years ago that she barely remembers, but that need for a second door on her house came from the fear of what she said Brett Kavanaugh did to her at a high school party 30-some-odd years ago. We use the word credible a lot, and the media tries to conflate credible with true, which is not the same thing. Credible in the parlance that they use it is just not obviously false and malicious. Still could be false and malicious. But as I've been trying to tell you, you walk into a police station and say, hey, my cousin's been kidnapped by a Mexican drug cartel, that's a credible, if you know some of the details and you've thought about it before, and you could make a credible claim, but then it could all be a hoax and be fake. To say that it's credible to start with is not a judgment on whether it is true. It just means it's not clearly untrue. Well, Blasey Ford's claim about making a, having a second door and that that sparked these memories, I find not credible, meaning that on its face, it makes no sense. Blasey Ford's other claim in the media, you will recall, defended her on this, thought that this was a place where they could make a stand. Blasey Ford claimed that she did not like to fly and therefore there was going to be a delay in whether she could actually get to Congress and testify about this during the hearing. And people said, no, sorry, you got to show up now. We're not going to let the Democrats just run with the media for as long as they want to completely poison the well before we can even have any kind of hearing here. And we were told, oh, but she's scared of flying. Some of you will, some of you will remember this. I had, honestly, it had slipped my mind until it came up recently. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, that's true. They did say that. 
And then it came out that Blasey Ford likes to fly all over the place for fancy vacations. Ski vacations, beach vacations. So she's scared of flying and can't get to Congress because of that. But she's not scared of flying when it comes to going on fancy vacations. You see, this is where if the media were honest, they would say, oh, wow, so she's a liar. But of course, they didn't do that. What did they do? They said, well, yes, of course, she's this must be part of the trauma that comes from 30 years of having to live with, you know, Brett Kavanaugh's groping and and attempted sexual assault that she can't remember key details of. And oh, by the way, based on what the career sex crimes prosecutor who interviewed her said after the after she gave her testimony, it wouldn't have even been, you couldn't have even made an arrest. Meaning it was not credible. Her claims were not credible enough to even affect an arrest if there were a criminal statute that would come into play. They're doing the same thing with the whistleblower. That's why I'm going through all this now. Now we're hearing the whistleblower's life is in jeopardy. That's a lie. The whistleblower's life is in jeopardy in the same way that anyone who is involved in American politics in a contentious way's life is in jeopardy. Any one of us could be a target. Any one of us are under threat at any point in time for speaking out on contentious political issues. Trust me, I know. We receive death threats. We re- they always act like, oh, it's only the anti-Trump people that have to be scared. Really, it's the, the nastiest stuff I've ever seen is what liberals who want to restore civility in our discourse will write to people who defend Trump and don't believe that these... Deep state machinations should be allowed to go on. The nastiest stuff I have ever seen to date. But they've done what they did with Lousy Ford. Oh, this person's life is under threat. Because you know what that also does? It creates more time for them to figure out what the public relations campaign will be when the, when the whistleblower comes forward, which will happen. This whistleblower is going to come forward. And... Then they also will use that, uh, they, they use that as a buffer, they use that as a way of slowing down any effort by the news media who are happy to out people for any number of, of reasons, even if it's bad for national security. We've seen this before. And we've seen the, the major newspapers, New York Times, Washington Post, they'll, they'll name people that really are going to be put in jeopardy if what the newspapers are writing is true, and they just don't care. But by saying that the whistleblower's life is in danger, what they do is throw a brush back pitch at anyone who wants to try to get to the truth of what has happened here. Because if they preemptively, before the PR campaign with Schiff and Pelosi and you know Stephanopoulos and Maddow and Cooper and all the rest, before that can all be put in place and put in motion for maximum political impact, if somebody were to say, figure out what's going on here. I mean, and to be honest with you, like I'm somebody who, if I poked around, could probably figure out There's a reasonable chance, I should say, I could figure out who this is, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to start poking around inside the IC because then we know what the Democrats would do. They'd say, oh, there's there's violations of law going on here. They can break the law all the time, but other people can't. It's one of the big lessons you have to take away from this. Uh, But they're going to pretend that if anyone does find out who this is and names the person, that it's a, a horrible threat that it will scare away future whistleblowers and that this person's life is in danger. Oh, yes. Just, just like Blasey Ford was so traumatized she needed two doors and couldn't fly. Lies. Both of those were lies. But they acted like they believed them. And that's one of the more egregious things that you will see our media doing on a, on a regular basis 
and it's pretending to be short-term morons for the purposes of protecting a long-term political narrative. Short-term morons by, for example, not understanding what is so clear to anybody who pays attention to it, which is that the reality of the Clinton Foundation is that the Clinton Foundation had its donations drop off a cliff after Hillary lost the election in 2016. The Clinton Global Initiative had to be shut down. And the Clinton Foundation overall is just a shadow of its former self. Is that because all these donors, including international donors, stopped caring about charity? Or is it because something else was going on there? And we all knew it. Oh, but the journos, they, they're so busy doing investigative reporting on whether, whether or not uh, they can find someone who will say something bad about a prominent Republican from 30 years ago that can't be proven one way or the other. That they never stopped to ask questions about what is essentially the biggest front, the biggest slush fund for access peddling and selling that anyone has ever seen, which is the Clinton, the Clinton Foundation. Oh, but now they want to tell us that we need to play fair and that Trump is doing all these terrible things, betraying our country, betraying his oath of office. I'd like some specifics, please. And you know how we might get some specifics? If the whistleblower comes forward. We all understand that right now what's happening is the whistleblower is in, in discussions with Adam Schiff and other Democrats. They want their hearing. They want their... Aha moment. You know, you can't handle the truth, Trump. They, they want all that. And they're going to find a way to try to get us to that. And everything in the meantime about, oh, the safety of the whistleblower and the whistleblower needs money for the legal defense and all this. Straight out, they're running the same playbook all over again. This is Russia collusion plus Blasey Ford equals Ukraine phone call Hunter Biden stuff. Your Republican colleagues say, well, the, the call is the call. There's nothing here that rises to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, they're wrong. And it remains to be seen because it's not just what happens in the call. It's part of the sequencing of events as well. You withdraw a couple hundred million dollars worth of uh, assistance to a country and then a couple of days later say, by the way, can you help me with my campaign? In other words, uh, there's a sequencing there. What is your message to the White House in terms of cooperation? To the White House? Speak the truth. Honor your oath of office to the Constitution of the United States. Speak the truth and let us work together to have this be a unifying experience, not of dividing one for our country. Don't make this any worse than it already is. Ah, so much to work with here, folks. Speaker Pelosi, as shameless as Schiff, just a little bit less grotesque, right? But but very shameless. I love this, uh, use this as an opportunity to unify the country. It's like she's running the Pelosi Inquisition. Confess your crimes and then we shall punish you, but it shall be good for your soul in the afterlife. Confess your crimes. Wait, but I didn't commit crimes. How dare you? You must confess. But uh, this actually kind of reminds me of the, uh, what is it, um... Uh, Monty Python, right? And the, didn't they do the whole Inquisition thing back then? Uh, but yeah, you have to confess. That's the that's the only thing. Resistance to the resistance is automatically uh, considered to be evidence of of wrongdoing, right? You're guilty because you resist. They tried this with Kavanaugh too. 
Remember that they once they couldn't win the argument on the facts, once it was clear that Christine Blasey Ford was a little crazy and probably a liar, um, but definitely not telling the truth, especially what she knew she was saying or not. Uh, and once it was clear they weren't going to win that, then they started saying, oh, because Kavanaugh was angry at the accusations, that's how we know he's guilty. And as I've said to you, any any male with any honor whatsoever, I don't care what society, you know, what country, what background, whatever. Any male who is accused of sexual assault that he had nothing to do with and did not do would be in that forum, in that manner, would be outraged. You know, I would have I would have gone, you know, to the whole next level. I would have completely lost my mind. Remember Al Pacino instead of a woman? If I were the man I was 10 years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. Not a very good movie, by the way. It's really just that one line that everybody remembers. I can't even remember the plot of Scent of a Woman. It just was Al Pacino yelling, which is tens, unfortunately, post The Godfather. That's most of his, you got to fight for every inch. Remember every given Sunday? It's just just yelling speeches. Um, I, I could actually probably go into The Devil's Advocate, which I think is an underrated movie, I will say. Because it has Keanu. So you guys have probably picked up on this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Keanu Reeves fan. I, I just think Keanu Reeves is great. I really do. Uh, he's apparently a very cool, low-key guy. He likes to do two gun drills in his spare time. He's actually quite good at them. You can see video of him online. Um, he, he really, him and Busey and Point Break is a top 10 all-time buddy cop movie. But I digress. All right, so Pelosi here. Back to Pelosi, what she's saying. Uh, she says... That it will be unifying if Trump just admits his wrongdoing, which is it's so disingenuous. Oh, yeah, sure. The White House is just going to say, you're right. We, we betrayed the Constitution. Let's all be friends now. Uh, th- these people are rabid with anti-Trump hatred. We know that. But I also like the construction here of, in other words, some of you will recall that infamous interview with Jordan Peterson with that woman who uh, I, th- I can't remember. She's from the BBC. And she kept saying, but, but so, so, so in other words, what you're saying, so, so in other words, so, so what you really mean is, so in other words, and he kept having to say, no, that's not what I, I'm saying, what I'm saying, I'm not saying the thing that you are pretending that I'm saying. We had Adam Schiff last week read off a fake transcript, right, a fake transcript in the Congress of what the Trump phone call was so that people could use that soundbite and know what the talking points are on the narrative. And then he said, oh, well, it's, it's, a, it's a farce or it's a, it's a parody, under, just showing us just how not self-aware Adam Schiff really is. And you had Nancy Pelosi now doing a similar routine with, well, you know, what, what, what Trump did is, in other words, a quid pro quo. No, a quid pro quo is quite clear. You ask for a thing or you do a thing and a thing is done for you in return. I mean, this reminds me of the whole firing of Comey. There's really no feasible way that they could have said that Comey getting fired was illegal, was illicit, because Trump can fire Comey for any reason or no reason. The president of the United States can make decisions based on foreign policy. He could withhold aid from Zelensky if he didn't like Zelensky's tie. That is his prerogative as the president running foreign policy. He is the head of the executive branch. Libs keep creating these little fantasy stories, and they always get past one thing. What is the violation of law? 
What is the violation that Trump committed? They don't say it. And do you know why? Because they don't have it. This guy is should not be president, period. And when you say that, folks on Fox come after you. I remember the Tonys when he got up there and cursed. A lot of criticism of you. Okay, well, you know, this is cable, Sorry. so it's not an FCC violation, Sorry. but it is still a Sunday morning. Well, well, I don't wonder why you choose to go that so way. FCC violation. Why do you we choose are to go in, that way? We are at a moment in our life, in this country, where this guy is like a gangster. He's come along and he's said things, done things we say over and over again. This is terrible. We're in a terrible situation. We're in a terrible situation. And this guy just keeps going on and on and on without being stopped. Hmm. Hmm. Stelter wants to know that the audience is shocked right now, but hmm. Okay. Oh, there you have. It. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. You got uh, De Niro there on CNN. I, I, I'd be curious to know what is the basis for, for hearing De Niro's political opinion about anything? This is the classic, oh, this is a famous guy who, I'd be willing to bet, hasn't hasn't read a book cover to cover about anything relating to politics or the world in probably a decade, maybe several. I'm just guessing, but I think that's fair. And he's on TV going, hey, you know, bleep him, bleep him. Uh, I, I can't say what he says, obviously. You know, he's a little bit out, little bit out of order. You know, De Niro, you're a little bit, a little bit out of order. I mean, this guy played a gangster in some reasonably good gangster. Okay, I know a lot of you are going to say the best gangster movies of all time. Fine. But it's been a long time. All right. And, you know, I think that Mr. Jinxie would be upset at his owner going on TV and dropping F-bombs to talk about Trump. But here's why I think this is this is a, a moment that is illuminating. This tells us something. De Niro's view, the reason he's invited on CNN to spout and pontificate. The reason that he's on the, you know, the, I'm sure they probably had some movie or something they were promoting. Who cares? But the reason CNN, a news, ostensibly a news program, Brad Stelter with reliable sources, uh, they, they bring him on because of his blankum attitude about Trump. Because that's what CNN thinks about Trump. They really don't like this guy. He is a threat. He is a rebuke to things that they find very, very important. And that's just simply unacceptable to them, right? So they are okay with losing their minds about how terrible he is all the time. So I just, uh, you know, it's stunning stuff. Do we have, um, do we have the little, little throwdown with, with Tapper and, and Jim Jordan here? Yeah, here we go. Um, play, uh, because Jim Jordan, you know, the, the, the Sunday shows, everyone gets the, in the political world, they get their their talking points and their, uh, their marching orders in the week by wa- watching these Sunday shows. Let's, let's hear what Jim Jordan had to, speaking of CNN, what he had to put up with at CNN. Play two. According to the acting director of national intelligence, the transcript is in alignment with the whistleblower complaint. We all see it. We all see it's a conversation. Zelensky wants military aid and President Trump asks him to look into the Bidens. I can't believe that that's okay with you. Z- Zelensky Wait, brings up, he wants to drain the swamp in his country like the president is doing here. The what, president what he said, favor. Can you what, what Tapper, who's the biggest, the biggest fraud in many ways in mainstream journalism, because he's Mr. Oh, I just call, call balls and strikes down the middle. He's a Democrat operative and a, not a nice guy. <laughs> okay, so add all those things together is somebody who uh, I, I have nothing good to say about. And 
notice how he jumps to he's oh, well talking military aid and you know and then this other thing uh, yeah the the way that it's asked for the words used matter why do they think it's okay or why do they think rather that we won't notice that they keep rewriting what was said remember what we say here on this show on the bucks accent show if what trump has done or said is so bad why do they have to lie about it why can't they just say what he said why can't we hear what really happened and that's why jake tapper goes oh we see this no i I don't I, i don't agree with that i don't see this the way that he sees this i don't agree that it's just a a a clear help me out on this thing asking a a foreign head of state to have his legal people talk to your legal people about a completely legitimate line of inquiry that has already been the subject of legal uh some legal spotlight and some legal investigation there's no law against this they can keep saying oh it's so terrible it's so bad there is no law against this no law is broken whatsoever the campaign finance thing they try to allege is a joke because any action any action taken by a foreign head of state that would be of benefit to a u.s president going into an election year could be considered a campaign contribution so, you know, if, if, if Trump gets the uh, the president of Mexico, if he gets, I, I haven't even talked to you about Monsieur Trudeau. Trudeau is having a very big problem recently because uh, even uh, more horrible racist things came out about him. Unbelievable. It's, it's Trudeau is just, just a total, he's a classic lib, phony, hypocrite, fraud. But, but the libs love him. The libs love him. And not as much anymore. But if Trump signed a deal with them, that would absolutely be benefit to his administration would help. So is that a campaign contribution? How is how is information from a foreign head of state going to be a campaign contribution? How do you even gauge that? It's absurd. But these people say this, you know, smug. Oh, my gosh. The smugness from Tapper could cloud an entire continent. I, you know, you've got uh, Jim Jordan. there, and Jim Jordan did a pretty good job. I would have done a little better. I, I like Jim Jordan. I also think for the Sunday shows, maybe Jim should put on a jacket. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. But now we can continue with this back and forth. So, I, I, But I, had to, I just had to jump in there because Tapper is rewriting what was said in the transcript. He's just like, well, it's clear that this. No, it's not clear that that's what happened. It's not clear that there was give us. By the way, the, the asking for an investigation could be I talked to my attorney general, Mr. President Trump, and he says this is already done. So, you know, this is all over. That's what could have happened there. That's why there's no law against this, because you'd be completely limiting the president's ability to work in the realm of foreign policy. But continue with this uh, this this nasty little exchange with Tapper. Play it with you. Zelensky brings up he wants to drain the swamp in his country like the president is doing here. The president says, do me a favor. Can you figure out what happened in 2016? I thought we all all cared about what happened in the 2016 election. And then he moves on to the Bidens. And then he moves on. After Zelensky says this important sentence, in addition to that investigation, I want to do all investigations in an open and candid way. Only then does the president bring up Biden. And my guess is, if you ask the American people, when they look at what happened with Joe Biden's son, what I, don't, the, what, I don't. I don't. know that. What happened with Joe Biden's son? He got paid fifty thousand dollars, Jake. Fifty thousand yeah. dollars a month for several years now. And the Ukrainian prosecutor said there's no evidence of wrongdoing. Come on. What? Come on. The, the vice president. Okay, son let, let's gets jump paid in right there. dollars a month. This is Tapper playing the moron because he's caught. Well, what? I don't. There's nothing. You know, fifty thousand dollars. That's not. A, 
oh, do you mean that the appearance of corruption that is very obvious there could be grounds for investigation? Oh, no, I'm sorry. What the libs will then tell us is the only bad prosecutor is the one that Joe Biden was bragging about getting fired through an explicit quid pro quo about funding for the loan guarantees for the Ukrainians. The only bad prosecutor in Ukraine is apparently this guy Shokin, who we've been told, oh, the whole West wanted him gone. If this was this is all narrative creation. What's the what are we even talking about here? A bunch of EU bureaucrats and a number of journalists who all just parrot each other? We we don't know. But oh, okay. The prosecutor said there's nothing there. These are the same people who, when the Department of Justice looks at their uh, looks at this complaint, this whistleblower complaint and says, sorry, nothing there. Or when Bill Barr says, sorry, we're not prosecuting the president based on this nonsense Mueller report that doesn't even recommend prosecution. They say that's illegitimate. Oh, but the word of some prosecutor that none of them could even name off the top of their heads, that sacrosanct tapper, really? Do you know how investigations start? They start with a story that makes sense about the possibility of wrongdoing based on some facts or allegations at hand. That's how they start. If Tapper really thinks that Hunter Biden getting $50,000 a month from a, a company that is desperate to curry favor with the United States government, if that is not least worthy of looking into for the possibility of a quid pro quo, what if Hunter Biden told his dad, hey, get this guy fired or else the money gets turned off for me? I don't know if that happened, but it certainly seems plausible. And the only way we would know is if there was an investigation, because we definitely know they weren't paying Hunter, Hunter Biden 50K a month because he's so smart and knows so much about Ukrainian natural gas and was so useful. We know that for sure. But Tapper's, oh, what's wrong with that? I don't see any. I don't see anything wrong with that, you know. And you could tell he's getting, and he's just ready to just come back with a salvo here. Nasty tapper. Keep playing it. The, the vice president's son gets paid fifty thousand dollars a month and gets hired by a company. If in, you in, have in a, an industry he has no experience in, and oh, that's fine. And all you folks in the press and Democrats, oh, no problem here. Go, go, try telling that, taking that message to the American people. If I you want to propose a law, if you only fifty thousand in a year, and when they see the vice president's son getting paid fifty thousand a month in a field in an industry he has no experience in, I, I kind of want, wonder what wonder what Hunter Biden did in those board meetings. So he just look at his phone, check out the sports. In board, May, the Ukrainian, but he's May, getting paid fifty thousand, and then when the company that's paying him that money mm-hmm. is under investigation, guess what? Daddy comes running to the rescue. The vice president of the United States that's comes running That's not what happened. Fire, sir, fire that prosecutor. Sir, that's not what happened. Tapper doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know. I wonder if Tapper has a, an easy and ready answer for the fact that Shokin now, in sworn court affidavits in Ukraine, sa- has said, and this has just come out in the last week, he was fired for looking at Burisma. That he was investigating it, it wasn't over with. I just love how how the, the the whole premise here that the libs are running with is that this thing was totally on the up and up. Ukraine, which is a wildly corrupt country, oh, but in this situation, there's nothing to see. It was all handled by the book. They think we're all morons. Of course, there's a lot to look at, and I would note when Tapper Stegel, if you were to propose a law, it's he's not saying that that the fifty thousand a month is not on it is not immediately illegal. It is grounds for investigation in a corruption probe. That's what Trump was referring to ob- obliquely, I might add, by the end of the conversation. 
the possibility of are you you know can you look into this can you whatever they could have come back to trump the next day and said hey we don't have anything on this we've already looked at this sorry and trump you know that but this is just a conversation about what the, the president would like to get answers on but see this is notice how they, they just keep they obscure and deflect and oh if you want to propose a law that makes these are the same idiots i mean cnn is part of the whole emoluments clause delusion where you will hear, I've read articles, the New York, I mean, the Washington Post will put stuff forward that says more or less, well, you know, because a bunch of foreign diplomats eat at the Trump Hotel, you know, that's a violation of the Emoluments Clause. Really? They, they think the Emoluments Clause is to say that someone who owns a part or, or controlling interest in an entity where it's open to the public and people can buy things, that that's, that's an unlawful acceptance of, of gifts? Under the mind, I mean, are they morons? Do they really believe? I mean, the same people who will tell you that a diplomat going into Trump Hotel and having a cheeseburger apparently owns U.S. foreign policy and, and controls Trump thought nothing of Bill Clinton giving a speech in Russia while his wife was secretary of state in which he accepted five hundred thousand dollars. You know, if someone gives you a dollar for the soda machine They're trying to be nice. If someone gives you a million dollars, quote, for your advice, because your dad is the most important politician in the world to their company, that's a bribe. Reasonable people, intelligent people can think this stuff through, but, you know, not not people in the mainstream media who they look, they're going they're going to the barricades on this one. They know this is really important. They have to win this fight in the public's eye. Around, what are they going to do? Another, oh, then they're going to present another. They lost on the Mueller impeachment. They couldn't get enough there. Now they've come up with this. They're going to do a third one. I mean, I, I do think at some point even the libs realize how crazy that would seem, although maybe not. To me, this reminds me of Watergate. We just don't have file cabinets anymore. In Watergate, uh, they dispatched people to break in and get information. And in the course of it, broke the law. And then there was a cover up. In this case, um, the fact that this president is asking for dirt from a foreign leader for an ongoing political race, uh, which endangers the security of our country, uh, it to me is the same thing. Look, I think there are some things uh, that are above politics. And one of them is that, like everyone in Congress, I swore an oath to the Constitution of the United States. No one is above the law, and that includes the president. Sounds like you're suggesting that in a Booker administration, the child of a president or vice president, it would not be okay for them to be joining foreign boards while the president or vice president is conducting foreign policy as required by the, the law. Am I hearing you incorrectly or am I hearing you correctly? Look, uh, I'm watching what's going on with the Trump uh, family right now uh, and, and Trump properties. And I just find that deeply offensive to just a any kind of independent sense of what's honorable, ethical, not to mention in, in consistency with the Emoluments Clause. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just do not think that, that uh, children of, of presidents, uh, of vice presidents, uh, uh, during an administration should be out there doing that. But this, any implications uh, right now, any whatsoever, look, Joe Biden is a statesman. Uh, he is... Uh, truly, uh, an honorable man. Yeah, yeah. blah blah blah. Propaganda, propaganda. Okay, no, we, we can. We, we, the the point I wanted to get him. to here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we don't have to hear I, any more Cory Booker. Scared. Sorry about that. The point I have to get to here is notice how what Cory Booker says. If you were to take him seriously, which I think would be your first mistake, or rather, if you were to take him at his word and think that he's being 
honest with this whole with this situation. If you listen to Cory Booker, what you would find very quickly is that you would have presidents and anyone who runs for it couldn't be just the president, right? It would have to be Secretary of State. It would have to be um, other people in the government. If you any elected official, senior elected official, if you have children, they can't work in the private sector anymore. They'd have to be government stooges. They'd have to be government bureaucrats. If what if what Cory Booker says is true and that the Trump children conducting their business around the world, right? Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Ivanka Trump, uh, although she's actually in government, a White House advisor. If, if what Cory Booker says, if we take that seriously, it would mean that if you were a developer or if you were a businessman, or if you would, you would have to sell all of your businesses and all of your properties. Nothing could continue. Think about this rationally for a moment. The whole, you know, even at, at with federal gifts, I think there's a $30 limit. You know, you, you have to report any gift over $30. And there's a reason for that. There's a principle at work there, too. No one really thinks that you're going to do an official, you know, an official act in violation of, of ethics and law for 20 bucks. The same way that nobody should really think reasonably that any one any one uh, group individual going into a Trump hotel to either stay the night or get some food is going to have any influence on foreign policy. This is crazy. This is nuts. But this is what they say. They're actually telling you this. They really believe, you know, they, they cannot see the difference. And this is where you really, this is where the disparity in justice, disparity in law at the libs comes together. They think that a, a foreign diplomat Walking into Trump Tower and buying, you know, buying a burrito bowl is similar-ish to Bill Clinton getting a check for half a million dollars while his wife is Secretary of State from a state-backed bank in a very important, powerful country. Oh, but they think the second one is just fine. If you're elected president, would you allow the son or daughter of your vice president to serve on the board of an oil company uh, outside this country? Probably not. But I think that the problem that we've got, again, with um, with this issue is that it's a distraction from the fact that, look, as far as I'm concerned, leave Joe Biden alone. Just leave him alone huh? on this issue of what this president has done that has been about corrupting America's democracy, huh? being in cahoots with a foreign leader to yet again try and manipulate the election of the president of the United States. Bad judgment, though. I'm, I, I, this, I'm not going to be distracted by what this president is trying to play, <laughs> which is a game because he knows that he oh, is gosh. actually probably um, looking at an indictment and is trying to then um, distract from from the realities of his behaviors that have been vi- in violation of our moral, our ethical, and probably our legal rules and mores. That's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. I mean, I, I don't know what Kamala Harris thinks she is saying there but as somebody who's listened to that soundbite a couple of times it's a it's it's astounding you know i just sort of yeah you know trump and and democracy and you know joe biden's like he's 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 real cool but like trump isn't and i'm not gonna get distracted <laughs> what what is she even saying but it uh, it shows us they're not trying to show us what's really going on but it does show us what's really going on because she just she is just trying to stay on message, which is Trump, bad, Biden, good. And that is the message. Trump, bad, Biden, good. That's the Democrats, whatever they have to say. 
And she's asked about whether or not somebody could serve on a foreign board. And, and they're leaving out some very important details. It's not just a foreign board of a company. Look, there's some judgment involved here in these matters. You look at this with, with, federal, with federal judges and the Supreme Court. Recusal. Recusal is usually a judgment call, right? But in this instance, it is incredibly poor judgment. And that's at a minimum. For Hunter Biden, when his dad is the point man on policy for a country that desperately needs U.S. help to sit on a board. As I've said, there are almost uh, there are 195 countries in the world. Joe Biden was put in charge of Obama's Ukraine policy. And like a month or two later, Hunter Biden's asked to be on this board. Oh, that's a coincidence. So it's not just on a foreign board. It's on a board in a country at a company full of corruption, at a company that we know is involved in all kinds of shady dealing. So it's even more. It's even more than they say. But the way that they it's all about how they frame it. It's all about what they're trying to do. To make people think that if you're up on this stuff, if you're up on the facts, if you understand what's going on, then then you think that Trump is bad and corrupt. And they're just hoping that we don't do our own homework on this, that they're hoping that people will just take what they're being force fed by the left wing media, which then brings me to. Of all the people that you could think of in the world, and I really mean this, of all the people in the entire world who should never, ever think that they're in a position to start telling the rest of us how foreign policy has been sold by the Trump administration to the highest bidder. Who would be, and I mean this, who would be the worst person on planet Earth to do that? Who would be the person that you would look to and say, wow, no self-awareness whatsoever? Well, here's a here's a hint. She's back! Play two. Three. But of course we all know that she has just announced the opening of an impeachment inquiry into the president on the basis of evidence that he betrayed his oath of office to uphold the Constitution and protect and defend our country. He has turned American diplomacy into a cheap extortion racket. He has denigrated and let's be honest, stabbed in the back, the career foreign service officers who serve bravely and selflessly no matter the politics of the administration that they are working under. And now they are caught in the crossfire. I was proud to serve with foreign service officers and civil servants at the State Department, and I know firsthand that they deserve the support and gratitude of all Americans. Wow. A cheap extortion racket, Hillary Clinton says. She who was running a charity as a global front for donations to the Bill and Hillary and Chelsea Clinton private jet fund. Fifty million dollars. They had to disclose this. Fifty million dollars spent by the Clinton Foundation on private jet travel. Who do you who do you think was on those jets, folks? Oh, that's right. That's that's good work if you can get it. Take a lot of money from foreign governments and foreign foreign actors and then make sure that you get to fly all over the world private and they pay for it. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Never mind. Think about all the expenses that were picked up, all of the 
all the hotel bills and all the perks, as if the Clintons weren't rich enough. So when we say, oh, it went to a charity, yeah, but, you know, they were on the board of the charity, they were running the charity, and the charity is going to pay for their lifestyle and their brand. It was all a brand enhancement tool, too. And the second she wasn't going to be president, mm, uh, about half of the donations just disappear almost overnight. It's so strange how people just didn't care about charity as much in 2017 as they did in 2016. And they did that. They pulled the tapper maneuver at CNN when I was there in, in 2016. I'd say, guys, the, the Clinton Foundation is a slush fund, right, for, bu- for buying access. We understand that. For at least the belief that one is buying access and favor with the Clintons. They'd say, no, it's not. I don't understand. What are you talking about? Easier to play dumb than have to defend the indefensible. That's what they were doing. And now we know. But then for Hillary Clinton, she of I was running the State Department when Benghazi happened, when we lost our first U.S. ambassador killed in the field since the Vietnam War. When when aid did not come for hours and hours and hours as our men and women in the CIA and the State Department were pinned down. In danger of being overrun. Where was Hillary? What happened that night? What did Obama know? When did he know? Oh, we'll never find out. Executive privilege. Where are the calls for transparency on that one? Oh, but we know what they really cared about. We know what really mattered to Obama and to Hillary Clinton at that time. That the media not call it a terrorist attack. That the media pretend that maybe there was something else going on. Just just delay it. You can't delay the finding forever, but just make it seem like there's some questions. Maybe it was about a video, you see. A video that led some people to do something on the anniversary of 9-11 in Benghazi. Would look pretty bad for Obama's reelection effort, right? Mr. Bin Laden is dead and General Motors is alive. The big slogan for Obama's reelection wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a good look for four brave Americans to be killed doing their jobs in a dangerous country, a country made more dangerous, I would note, by the Obama-Hillary-Samantha-powered foreign policy decision to overthrow that government. And a lot of dictators took note of what happened to Gaddafi after we said, hey, we don't want, we don't want violence and, and mayhem when Gaddafi puts down this uprising. Well, then it flipped the other way, and all of a sudden the violence and mayhem was directed at everybody around Gaddafi, including Gaddafi, who was unspeakably violated on video and in the street. Yeah, I think Kim Jong-un and others took note of that. I'm going to tell you right now. I think the Assad regime was like, yeah, we're not going to go. We're not going to go down this. We don't care what we have to do. We'll do anything. That was the, the brilliance of Hillary Clinton's foreign policy on display. What did we get out of that? involvement in the toppling of the Libyan dictator. What do we get? Oh, oh, that's right. There were open air slave markets operating on the shores of Tripoli. ISIS set up a, uh, a franchise there that at one point was one of the most active outside of Syria and Iraq anywhere. Is, is Libya some thriving uh, multi-confessional democracy where everyone's respecting human rights? And you know, what, what were we doing there exactly? No, no one in the press really seems to ask any of these questions because they don't care. They'd rather pretend that Hillary Clinton is not the most the most venal, the most corrupt, self-dealing politician. Oh, the only one who comes close is her husband. I was going to say of her generation, but laughable 
levels of corruption. Never prosecuted, nothing. No one ever did anything. I would know. I, I thoroughly believe, based on everything we know about the Comey's FBI in 2016, when you had the uh, CEO of Overstock.com come out and say that he was approached by the FBI and that they shut down an investigation from the very top that looked like it was going to prove that Hillary would more or less accept bags of cash. Yeah, they'd find a way to make it seem like, oh, this is just for this is just for building schools in, you know, in uh, Botswana or something. Right. They'd have some Clinton Foundation excuse for it. But no bags of cash for Hillary. That that, that would have happened. And the FBI shut it down. Now Hillary Clinton is out there and she's getting media attention and they're propping her up as a voice of. A voice of probity, a voice of ethics. And they, they don't understand why we think that they're so full of it. They're crazy. Why the media is completely corrupt and inept and not to be trusted. This is beyond parody. Hillary Clinton out there saying that Trump has created a cheap extortion racket out of our foreign policy when that Hillary Clinton elevated Hillary Clinton elevated selling U.S. foreign policy to the highest bidder to an art form. And was never held to account for it because she was going to be the next the first female president, a Democrat, a progressive, a leftist with the highest level connections imaginable. And an entire Democrat media apparatus in love with the idea of a Hillary Clinton presidency. She knew she was untouchable. So they set up this operation, which made them fabulously wealthy. Oh, Buck, no, it was just the yeah, the speeches were in part. In response to all the Clinton Global Initiative and Clinton Foundation stuff, right? Oh, look at all the great charity. Let's pay them half a million dollars for a speech. The charity was a front that allowed for the laundering of money to the Clintons under the guise of, oh, we just really need to hear their their speaking. Their, their global leadership, as evidenced by the Clinton Foundation, is so important. Here's a check for 400 grand, Hillary. Here's a check for 350 grand, Hillary. Here's a check for like 150 grand Chelsea, which I wouldn't I wouldn't listen to Chelsea about how to how to open up a lemonade stand. I really wouldn't. But I'm an honest fellow and I know the dishonest when I see them. And this week she delivered a powerful speech at the United Nations Climate Action Summit that should be required viewing for every lawmaker. She spoke for so many in her own generation when she condemned world leaders' lack of urgency in responding to climate change by saying, you have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Now, I know she engendered a backlash from the climate change deniers, from the anti-anything coalition that takes on those who stand up and speak out and actually live in an evidence-based world instead of a fact-free world. So she did engender this backlash, which only made her message more significant, more important for every one of us to pay attention to. What a delusional, pandering liar. Uh, Democrats, the whole whole show is over now, right? They had this 16-year-old girl... Just the the whole point of of having her as the messenger was so that conservatives would say, why are you trotting out a 16 year old who knows nothing about science, who knows nothing about the world or economies or law or even politics? 
and have her lecture. And I mean, she looked like she was deeply emotionally uh, upset when she was talking about this climate change issue. So they're exploiting the fear of a 16 year old girl. And and the, the Hillary response you get here, I know I'm almost done with Hillary. You know, the Hillary response is to say that this was the evidence base versus the non-evidence base. Really? Why not have a scientist make this case? And speaking for her generation, I was once 16. And let me tell you this. I thought climate change when I was 16 was garbage. Because I like history and I remember things and I know what has been said about this cyclically stretching back for 100 years. Oh, this is going to happen. Oh, that's going to happen. We're going to run out of food. We're going to have overpopulation. We're going to have an ice age. We're going to have a uh, overheating because of climate change, because of uh, global warming. And now it's climate change. I just all you have to do is look at this and you understand this is nuts. It's insane. But all oh, the the inspiration that Hillary Clinton is talking about, she's Hillary is a woman who says she will say whatever she has to say for maximum personal benefit at any point in time. It does not matter how dishonest it is. It does not matter what she said the day before or what she'll say the day after. So in that sense, she is almost the perfect left wing politician. Because it is all a charade to get to power. It's all just play acting. It's all just meant for public consumption so that you can create the perception you need to put yourself into power. That's what Hillary says. That's what Hillary does. That's who she is. Flat out. And now here we are being told by her that Every lawmaker should listen to Greta Thunberg. I I would just say every lawmaker should be in a position to say, I'm sorry, I don't listen to speeches by by people who are unqualified on the subject matter by virtue of age and knowledge. I do not not think that that's normal. I do not think that that's healthy. And I still think it's amazing that there are some libs to this day who claim that when someone like me points out, you might as well ask her about the Fed rate, which I said on Fox News, and I stand behind 100%. That I'm right. You might as well ask her about the Fed. She doesn't know. She can have an opinion, but she doesn't know anything. So why does it matter? Why do we have to hear from her? Oh, that's right. Because she's a victim. She's a victim by the fa- by the mere reality of her age, and the fact that she's advancing a contentious, a, a contentious political agenda, and is really a, a mobile human shield. For a left-wing agenda. That's what's going on. That's what they were doing. And Hillary just tries to capitalize on that, too. And one thing, we are lucky, folks. If nothing else, Donald Trump spared us from Hillary Clinton as president. And we should be forever thankful for that. I am forever thankful to Trump for at least that one thing. Let me put it this way. Some of the stuff that they were talking about impeaching him from before, trying to cover up that he paid to cover up his sex with Stormy Daniels or uh, being rude to James Comey, uh, which almost everybody wants to be. Um, the, um, I always got the feeling it was like trying Al Capone for tax evasion. But now we so? got him for extortion and being an accessory, I believe, to, to, uh, to murder. I mean, let's be murder. clear. Yeah. Murder by the Russians of Ukrainians. We forget what oh, the I, context I, is. The Russians, uh, his right. friend Putin, are invading a peaceful democratic country. Congress voted to give weapons to that country to defend itself against an attack. He was withholding those until he got threatened even by Lindsey Graham. That was too much even for him. 
But what he was saying basically to, uh, uh, he was delaying the self-defense weapons that Ukraine needed. This is perfect. A perfect example of what I'm talking about here. There you have uh, former Democrat Representative Barney Frank on on the Bill Maher show, who is making the claim that Donald Trump is guilty of murder because of a foreign policy decision that the Democrats say that they don't like. If, if that is not the dumbest thing you have heard in a very long time, I would like to know what is. Especially considering that, as, as he said there, okay, the, the Ukrainians are supposed to get the Congress uh, approved the funding for the Ukrainians to get weapons. His claim, Barney Frank's claim here, is that because Trump put a pause on some of those weapons or, or, or was you know, involved in a delay of the delivery of those weapons, that the truth here is that that is somehow similar to being involved in a, in a murder? Well, hold on a second. The Democrat administration of Barack Obama, as we discussed earlier in the show, refused to send lethal aid, including those very same, those very same Javelin anti-tank missiles. Because here's what the Russians gave. The Russians created this separatist, uh, this separatist movement and funded it and trained it and sent Spetsnaz in to pretend that they were Ukrainians. They did all this stuff in eastern Ukraine in the Donbass region. And the armor that the Russians were able to bring uh, was of a, of a level of sophistication that they could overrun. It's really turned into, in some places in Ukraine, uh, it's similar to trench warfare. You have these these battle lines drawn up, and having armor in those near those trenches is obviously an enormous advantage if you don't have the kind of weapons that can take out an advanced Russian tank. But the Obama administration would not give the Ukrainian... I spoke to Obama's former director for Ukraine at the NSC, and he told me straight up, yeah, we we would not give them Javelin anti-tank missiles. Sorry. Wouldn't give them sniper rifles either, because in this trench-style warfare in eastern Ukraine, distance, uh, distance marksmanship, lethality over a long distance became very, very important. So we weren't sending them sniper rifles. We weren't sending them Javelin anti-tank missiles. Trump changed that. But if there was a temporary pause in that, or even the, the the possibility of a pause, Democrats like Barney Frank say they've got him on murder. This is insane. These people are nuts. That this is not this is stuff that should be laughed at. Instead, you've got everyone, oh yeah, we've got Trump on murder. He's like Al Capone and we're just getting him on tax evasion, but we really get him on murder. It's a very, very stupid point. Or sorry, an accessory to murder, if we're going to use his see, I, I will I will use their their words. Still crazy, still insane. An accessory to murder, though. What a wacko. A total and utter wacko. But uh, they're going forward with this impeachment. And I'm seeing now that, you know, I've thought all along that impeachment was going to happen. Uh, I'm seeing now that there is a report about Adam Schiff saying that this will happen. uh, This was on, on the Associated Press that this could happen by the end of the year. That they and and this this makes sense to me. I I the truth about the the politics of of impeachment for the president. No one really knows. No one can really tell you whether or not the president being impeached would be more of an issue for the 
the backlash or more damaging to the president, right? So is it is it a benefit to Democrats? Is it a benefit to the GOP if Trump is impeached and not removed from office? No one really knows. A lot of people will pretend to know. I believe very strongly that if Trump is impeached, his base will rally to him. But remember, this is going to be a, a likely a very, a very narrowly decided election in the vote totals. So it's not whether whether the base, generally speaking, I think this is fair to say, it's not so much whether the base will come out in support of Trump because of impeachment. They're going to come out regardless. The other, the other issue, the bigger issue is whether people that are in the middle, that are persuadable, that are independent, that could vote either way, will view impeachment positively or negatively. Will they think, oh, man, Trump was impeached. He must be bad. I got to vote for the Democrat. Or will they think this really is the witch hunt that Trump has been talking about all along? There really is this psychotic hatred of this, of this president. Look, I'm going to tell you this, too. If it wasn't for 9-11... And, and there, there was a delay period in there. If you had had Bush in office for another year or two, I'm telling you, they would have moved to impeach him, too. There was a lot of talk toward the end of the Bush administration about how Bush was a uh, war criminal, how Cheney should be brought up on official war criminal charges. There, the media was starting to run with that. And that there, there were also people suggesting that Bush had a fascistic and, and Hitlerian political uh, plan for America. You know, we're, he's going to use the threat of radical Islam in order. To, no, I'm not. It was not as mainstream as the Trump is his Hitler stuff, which is completely mainstream on the left. That Trump is a fascist and he's the worst, the worst, the worst president in history. The most powerful, most revered Democrats in politics and in the media will say things like that about Donald Trump. But th- this is just they, they can't handle not being in power. Remember, Bush also wasn't a legitimate president to them. Bush stole the election. Right. Bush v. Gore, Florida, the recount. And then HBO made a movie which completely misrepresented what really happened in Florida in terms of what side was really pushing for what in the courts. And, you know, they, they were doing everything they could to make sure that there would just be a vote total. Never once was there a vote total in Florida by any recount that would have had Al Gore win. And yet they act like it was stolen from him. Um, these are people who are, unfortunately, the Democrats and the left have tied their politics so closely to their sense of identity and their sense of self-worth that disagreeing with them on any of, the, on any of this is, in their minds, an assault on who they are as people, um, which is why also they get so upset about climate change because that's the area of public policy that I think the left now has most associated with virtue and has touched all the fear and irrational se- uh, sectors of their brains. That's where we are. Speaking of which, I've got more for you on on climate change I want to talk to you about. I mean, we're obviously going to get into impeachment a lot in the months ahead, so I don't want to overdo that in any one given day. Um, but I'll be back with you here to talk climate change in just a moment. The United States currently accounts for about 15 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions. Yes. China accounts for roughly 30 percent of greenhouse yep. gas emissions. How do we, even if we get to net zero, how do you get... China, India, and the other countries to be good partners. China is doing a lot. Yes, they're still building a bunch of coal-fired power plants. And they're still burning coal. Yes, they are. But they are now moving plants away from the cities. the, the, The Communist Party wants to stay in power in China, and they listen to the public. When the public says, I can't breathe the air, 
Xi Jinping is not a dictator. He has to satisfy his constituents. Can I just pause there for one second? He's not a dictator? I just, I have to. No, he has to. He has a I mean, Mike Bloomberg, he, this is, it's important for us to always remember this. It's, you can be smart in one area or on one thing and be a bit of a dumbass in others. And Bloomberg, who's a self-made billionaire many, many tens of times over, clearly has a mind for business and, and his story in that regard is, is pretty amazing. But he also is a guy who thinks you shouldn't be able to drink big sodas and that if you ban guns enough in New York City, you're going to stop violence. And he's just wrong. He just doesn't know what he's talking about. And here you have him saying that Xi Jinping is not a dictator. Hmm. Maybe explain that to the protesters in Hong Kong there. Mike Bloomberg, maybe give a little more thought to what really goes on in China if you speak out against speak out against the regime in any way. Never mind the terrible conditions in prisons and how people are executed. And I mean, it's just China is a mafiaocracy. Okay, it is a mafia state, and the head mafia don is Xi Jinping. We should never forget that. But the the point about climate change here is one that Bloomberg doesn't have an answer to. And that is, even if what we say we should do as a country, even if we achieved that, it wouldn't be nearly enough because America is only 15% of global emissions. And the big spike in global emissions is coming from China and India. Never mind the fact that the third world, well, I'll get to the third world in a moment, but we can continue now with Mike, Mike Bloomberg making a jackass of himself. Xi Jinping is not a dictator. He has to satisfy his constituents or he's not going to survive. He's not a dictator? No, he has to. He has a constituency to to, to, um, uh, answer to. Dictators, my friend, all have constituencies in the sense that they can't just kill absolutely everybody, Right. They can't just use force. They have to be able to have some form of government. They have to have some way of keeping the lights on. You know, this but this is like saying, well, Mussolini wasn't a fascist. You know, the trains ran on time and the lights were on. <sighs> Not very clever stuff from Mayor Bloomberg, who I will say was was a good mayor. I know people get mad at me when I say it. I give credit where it's due. He was he was a good mayor. Uh, but here's the the other part of this that I think is, is so interesting. It turns out that plane emissions, which aren't a this is people would would criticize me for bringing this up who are climate change freaks, you know, climate change uh, super maniacs, because they would decide that, well, oh, they would tell you that it's a small percentage overall that air travel, small percentage overall of emissions. It's like five percent, I think, overall. Um, OK, well, it's getting bigger all the time. And it's estimated that within a couple of decades, I'm sorry, 2.5% of global, of global emissions, but it should be by 2050 based on how much, this was just a study published over the weekend, based on how much plane travel is increasing. By 2050, it could be 25% of all CO2 emissions. A quarter of all CO2 emissions will be, plane, will be from planes. Uh, let me tell you right now, you do not want to be on a solar-powered plane, okay? That's not going to happen. It's nowhere near that. Airframes in particular, you look at Boeing and the problems that it's going through, airframes are very difficult to adjust and change. Even relatively minor adjustments to airframes. That's why the the planes, really planes that are, are newer, you know, the Supermax is an example of this, 
are re-upped versions of older airframes with just better avionics and electronics. And the moment you start messing with the, the actual structure of it, you throw off a lot of things. And in a similar way, if you change the basic fuel source for planes, you're going to have all kinds of other stuff that you're going to have to adjust for and, and, and get involved with the electronics, the avionics. It's just not a straightforward thing to switch out. It's not easy to do. Does anyone think that there's going to be less air travel in China and India in the decades ahead? In fact, I think the fastest growing air travel market in the world is the internal Chinese travel market. More and more people in China want to fly to other, because China's a very big place, fly to other places in China for travel, to see family, to explore. And that's not going to change. So we have yet another place where the problem is going to get much bigger First of all, I don't think CO2 emissions is a problem, but the uh, the numbers that we're seeing, we, we keep assuming that we have these static realities of CO2 emissions, that the numbers as they are now are going to continue to be the numbers in five years. This is why I keep saying that no one can see the future. Technology is going to change. Consumer behavior is going to change. Habits will change. And that's why when they start doing these projections out to 2050, they just... This is nonsense. It's nonsense. They have, no, they have no idea what the technology usage will be. And if anything, the developing world, as it gets more developed, well, this isn't that complicated, but as there's uh, more economic activity and more consumption and just more prosperity, oh my gosh, all across the third world, there'll be more people in cars, more people flying planes. And even if we are reducing our CO2 footprint, which I think is unnecessary and self-defeating and stupid, in those countries, just based on the fact that there'll be so much greater activity, there will be more and more CO2 put up in the air. You know, even if you have some of the, if some third world countries get to 20% of, of uh, tw- you know, 20% of their grid, or let's say 50% of their grid is all renewable based. 80% of their grid is renewable based. What, whatever numbers you want to use, there's going to be some percentage of it that is not and even in creating renewable energy, a lot of the time you actually spew off a lot of CO2. You know, see see how much energy, how much CO2 is expended in the creation of those solar panels that people put on the roofs all the time. You start to look at that analysis and you change your mind about a lot of this stuff. Oh, and then there's this other piece on the, in Time Magazine about lifestyle changes. I thought this was fantastic. Uh, because one of the problems that you have these climate change activists keep running into is they, they really like to have their global conferences, their climate change conferences in incredibly fancy locales where everyone pretty much arrives on a private jet, certainly by air travel of some kind, but a lot of private jets. And you have the likes of Leonardo DiCaprio and others who will fly in their private jet to be at a conference where the real takeaway is everybody else needs to fly less in jets of any kind and drive less and use less, and consume less. Think about it this way. Energy consumption itself is going to be, it creates the emission of CO2 in our, in our current system. And that means for products. So things that you buy, you know, if you buy a laptop computer, the energy and the resource mining and everything that went into that is going to be expelling CO2. It's just not possible. This is really just a fight against human prosperity as a, as a religious belief and an excuse to, to assert total control. The reason this Time Magazine piece is out 
and the reason that it says uh, that individual habits should not be considered a disqualifier, essentially, hey, we want to fly on our private jets, or like, let's all just agree that what one person does doesn't matter. It's about collective action. Is they're trying to get rid of the hypocrisy that has always has always dogged this movement. Hypocrisy is one of the big weaknesses, one of the big weak areas of the climate change alarmists, because the most, you know, the Al Gores and the DiCaprios and the, you know, the, the people that are the biggest evangelists for climate change catastrophe make no attempt whatsoever in their own lives to change things, make no attempt to modify their own behavior. They only want to modify your behavior. And if they do modify individual behavior, it's virtue signaling. You know, they've got, they'll have eight Hummers in a garage in Los Angeles but you'll see them taking photos of themselves in front of the Tesla like they're, oh, I'm doing my part. It's ridiculous. We see this for what it is. But man, the left, they get so touchy about climate change. They just lose their minds on it. I don't know how it's possible that so many people could be so utterly brainwashed, but they are. The way I see this is that we've got a big structural problem in this country, and that is we've got a government that works great, fabulously for the wealthy and the well-connected. It works great for giant corporations. It's just not working for much of anyone else. When we stand together, we can accomplish extraordinary things. And it gets back to what Mandela said, think big, not small. What can we do? Give you an example. I came here to New Hampshire four years ago. I talked about raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, and everybody told me I was crazy, too radical an idea. Well, the American people, workers, have stood up, and now we have seven states in the U.S. House of Representatives that have already voted to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. I would just like to know why we have not raised the minimum wage to 500 bucks an hour. That's way more than 15. The fat cats, the millionaires, the billionaires, they can afford to pay it, but they don't want to do it. In fact, I don't like to be mean about millionaires because I, Bernie Sanders, am also a millionaire, a socialist millionaire with three houses, so it's really billionaires who are the bad guys. Oh, my friends, the class warfare that you will see from Democrats, which it never seems to dawn upon Democrats that they are simultaneously the party of class warfare and the party of the coastal, super, ultra-wealthy elites in media, in entertainment, Wall Street, super-wealthy libs all over the place. The wealthiest enclaves in the country are lib-dominated, but somehow it makes Democrats feel good to talk about how bad rich people are. And the very rich Democrats who listen to this, including some who are saying it themselves, they feel that because they adhere to an ideology that they support an ideology of radical redistribution of wealth via government, although not for themselves. They, they don't want their money. They, you know, they want fancy accountants and they want to fight this at every turn. But for everybody else, they want the radical redistribution of wealth. With that in mind and that in play, they think that they get a uh, dispensation. They think that they are immune to this stuff. Right? It's only the, it's the bad Republican millionaires that we have to worry about. You know, Sanders, they're talking about minimum wage, and I find the minimum wage discussion very frustrating because it's quite clear that minimum wage does not do what people who are proponents of it says it will do. But I also know that at every poll you see, people like a higher minimum wage. It, it does appeal to an emotional, not an economic, an emotional sense of 
fairness. Meanwhile, somehow, despite minimum wage laws, I've worked many jobs in my life where I made less than minimum wage, including worked for no wage, and under the guise of an internship or a, you know, whatever, junior counselor at a camp, all these things where you're doing labor, you're doing real work, but you're not getting paid for it. And I think that it's a very important economic lesson for everyone to do a job. Before you decide what your job should be in life, you should have done a job where you get paid money and you see what you are getting paid and how hard you work. And that would really affect where you want to go with your future career. I, I, I believe that. Uh, but minimum wage that Bernie Sanders is talking about, raising at 50, I think it's about to hit New York City, actually, $15 an hour. Is that right, Producer Mark? Does that sound right to you? I think minimum wage is going to be increased here to $15 an hour. So I think every, it already was. Oh, it already was. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, everybody can get excited about, you know, the, the cost of all the food that they're eating all the time going up or restaurants just going out of business. It's going to be one. It's going to be one or the other. Minimum wage is a very mixed bag. When you raise the minimum wage, what you do is exactly what microeconomists would tell you you do, which is you squeeze the balloon and in some places it gets, you know, gets thicker and in some places there's less air. In some places there's more, in some places there's less air. Some people will make more money, other people will get fired. Other people will have their hours cut back because a business has to deal with prices that are market-based. And a business has to deal with costs and inputs and outputs that are beyond just what the business di- dictates. Look, I would love it if the Buck Sexton show was making, you know, fifty million dollars a year. I would, I would give producer Mark a, a big raise. I'd give myself an an enormous raise. Um, but that's not what happens. There are external forces that tell you what you can make, what you can spend, and what the reality of your business is, and what the bottom line may be. And if you ignore those, you do so at your peril. And minimum wage is just a government mandate that ignores those things. But we should all be prepared for more of this. This is the Democrat message, just as it was under Obama, really, is not we want to make the economy function. We want to make the economy bigger and better and healthier across the board, which will help people the most. The the message from Democrats is some people are doing better than you. And because they're doing better than you, you're not doing as well as you should. And therefore, the answer is not how do you make it easier for everyone to be prosperous, to have more more take-home pay, more money in the bank, uh, more economic security, though economic security is really, philosophically speaking, it's a fiction. I mean, who knows? Financial security, I should say, is a fiction. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. There's really no such thing as true financial security. Um, but this is going to be very effective. These stories that they tell, just as it was back when Obama was running for re-election in 2012, and Mitt Romney, the vulture capitalist, oh my gosh, Mitt Romney, he wants to steal grandma's health care. He wants to give people cancer just so he can light his cigars with $1,000 bills. Yeah, I don't think Mitt wanted to do any. I don't think Mitt's a cigar smoker for one, so we could start there. In fact, I'm quite sure. I feel like if uh, someone tried to put a little mocha flavored something in Mitt's latte, he'd be like, whoa, settle down. This is not, it's not a crazy party. Um, anyway, I think that the uh, class warfare rhetoric is going to get, is going to be overwhelming and it's going to be something that the Democrats are really banking on. It'll be Trump is awful. Yay. Socialism. That's the, the shorthand for what the 2020 election will be turned into by Democrats. Trump is awful, but 
yay, we'll take money away from you and give it to other people. And once we've done that, everything will be better, even though all of history shows us that this is going to make us less wealthy and just enlarge the bureaucracy and hurt productivity and not do the things they say it's going to do. But the issue with socialism, folks, is that Democrats just don't understand why it fails or they, they refuse to believe that it fails for any reason other than a lack of will to do it the right way. It's not that, that socialism is inherently deeply wrong and flawed. It does not work and it is not right. But Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and others will be promising you that if you only give them the authority to, the power to enact it the way they want to enact it, it'll all be better. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Team Buck at iHeartRadio.com. If you want to send us email for the roll call, if you want to do it on Facebook, facebook.com slash And Remember, everybody, we are now going up with the podcast every day by 3 Eastern. You can listen on iTunes, on iHeartRadio, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. We will be there. Please do listen to the Buck Saxon Show. Tell people, spread the word, not just that the show is on a, is a podcast, but that we are out now in time for drive time. Anyone who wants to can listen to this show as their daily news deep dive. You can listen in the afternoon, uh, lunchtime on the West Coast, but certainly in the afternoon for your drive home. And the more that we see those uh, those numbers, we're already seeing it, the more we see those numbers spike on the podcast, uh, the more cool stuff we can do here, and the good guys win, essentially. So do what you can to help us out with this. It is much appreciated. Please do spread the word. Post to your own Facebook page. Uh, you know, Send a text message with the iTunes link that I will put up on Twitter today. Send a text message with that to a friend of yours who you think should get some good information finally from the uh, world of, of news. And we thank you very much for all you're doing so far to help us get the word out. All right. Paul writes, Hey, Buck, hope all's well. I have three questions and a funny aside. While listening to your show over the weekend, I kept hearing quid pro quo. I must have heard it a dozen times until I finally just said out loud, quid pro, a quid bro cuomo. <laughs> quid bro cuomo? And cracked myself up. Maybe you can run with that. Maybe I can. Thank you, Paul. My serious questions are this. Given that Democrats are moving toward impeachment, what do you think it's possible likely there will be Democrat defectors who will vote against? Uh... I don't think, no, I, I don't think, Paul, that there will be, I think the Democrats always move in lockstep. I think they will hear again. I do not, I would not expect, and I don't think you should expect that there will be um, any kind of uh, Democrat defection from impeachment. They're going to, they're going to all vote for it. I really think they will. And just look at Obamacare, man. Not a single, not a single Republican vote. Democrats all just jumping, jumping on board the train. And then he writes, secondly, if said impeachment proceedings do start up, do you think that the hearings will overshadow the Democratic primary debate coverage? And if that does overshadow the coverage, is it possible that Biden regains his lead over other candidates? Love the show. Love the hair. Shields high. Love the email, Paul. Thank you. Do I think that uh, the no, I don't think that it'll overshadow. Because Remember, the debates only happen sometimes. Uh, the hearings will feed into a lot of the Democrat primary, the, the whole impeachment inquiry 
will be leveraged shamelessly by all the Democrats running and they'll be talking about it all the time. So I think they would view them as the Democrats, the left will view the Democrat primary and the impeachment inquiry as complementary efforts. That's what I think is going to happen. Um, and I tend to be right, as you know, because you listen to the show. And then uh, overshadow. Yeah, no, overshadowing. I don't really think that's the case. And Biden. Look, I don't know how many more times I can say that. I don't think that uh, I don't think that Biden's going to win, but he's still at the top of the pack. So I don't think he's going to win the nomination, but I could be wrong. Uh, let's see. Brian Buck, it's looking more and more like your original prediction may hold true. Hillary's ego can't hold back from taking another run at the presidency. Come in and rescue the Democratic Party. LOL. I've always enjoyed CBS Sunday morning as, as most of their stories are usually feel good stories. They get your mind thinking in other arenas and are usually bipartisan. Though in the last few years, they've become more obvious in their pro-socialist agenda. Well, they teed up Hillary and Chelsea nicely with a full interview today. Give me your thoughts if you still think this may happen. P.S. Have you ever seen, did you ever end up watching Searching for uh, Sugar Man? I have not yet seen Searching for Sugar Man, so I should just get that out of the way right now. Um, I would like to watch it. Never gotten around to it. Although these days with the writing and other things I've got going on, it, it's very hard to spend a full two hours doing a movie, watching a movie. As for whether, no, I, I don't think, here's the only way that I could see, that I could see uh, Hillary, I was going to say Chelsea, but that's not for a few years. Oh, they're going to try to run her. They're going to try to run her for Senate first. They're going to try to run Chelsea Clinton for New York State Senate, uh, or rather for a New York State Senate seat. Uh, they're going to try that. I'm very confident they're going to give that a go. Um, but it's not going to be for a little bit. How would Hillary, hello, how would Hillary all of a sudden be back in the mix and and running for president, maybe even being the Democrat candidate, Democrat nominee? Uh, it would have to be because there's some implosion of the Democrat primary and you have no more, you know, Biden falls away and then you just have a really fractured Democrat party. And maybe if they got, some kind of a break in the impeachment against Trump if they found something they could use more. I don't know. But I'm saying it would have to be a an outlier type of event, something that nobody could foresee. And I, I think that's I think it's very un, I think it's very unlikely. Uh, let's see what we have here. Um, Elton, enjoy your show, especially the podcast that's now available in the late afternoon. Woo. Keep up the great work and tell producer Mark, hey, thumbs up, producer Mark. You get a thumbs up, buddy. Good job. I'm glad. All I did these cool things right. happen. We got the Pluto TV show starting. We get the earlier show, the podcast that earlier. When you come on board, uh, I'm just noticing. I'm noticing there's a lot of team buck love for producer Mark. Well, it is all me. That's, well, there you go. You know. So the, the team figures. You do out. the talking. I do everything else. That's right. Uh, Elton writes, your show is like an island in a sea of lib Democrat propaganda. My wife is a yellow dog Democrat, which I've learned to accept after 33 years of marriage. Look forward to your Pluto TV show soon. Again, thank you for your insights and extensive research into the day's events. Your faithful listener, Elton in uh, Birmingham. Um, all right. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see what we got here. Next one is John. He writes, okay, okay, kid bashing. That's just fine with me. But kitten bashing? That's just too much. How could you, sir? Okay, of course, that was not kid bashing in the least. Quite the contrary, and you nailed it. Another case of the left's favorite tactic, victimology. 
Same deal as David Hogg or Blase Fraud instead of Blase Ford. Same thing as Omar and AOC. Uh, and if this expert Greta wants to claim she's entitled to address the world body and be listened to, she's clearly claiming adult status. Um, all right. Thank you for uh, writing in. I appreciate it. Ted writes, Buck, I love your show and truly think you are the next rush. That cat segment, however, upset me. Mark's disrespect for Team Buck cat fans is abhorrent. His statement was, to use his own word, disgusting. We used to hear Trump sound bites all the time like, China! And you're a horrible person. Maybe cat-hating Mark lacks that finesse. Oh, man. They're, they're saying that because producer John does drops and you have to do other things during the show. I don't know. I don't know, producer Mark. They're calling you out. I just don't have the time to do drops anymore. I admit it. There we go. Well. And I did not say anything mean about the people who like cats. I just said mean things about cats. I love all members of Team Buck. There we go. That's that's a man who's hoping to keep the lights on in the Freedom Hut for a a few more years at least. Good stuff. Thank heavens. All right, Ted. Thanks for writing in. Um, Benny uh, writes, I'm fed up. As you and Bongino say, new rules now apply. I don't care if it looks petty. I don't care if it looks vindictive. I don't want to hear, as Republicans, we're above that. We're in charge of the Senate. How about backing up our president? I want investigations opened and hundreds of subpoenas issued for everything from every lie told under oath to Congress, uh, to both collusion hoaxes, to Fusion GPS, to Flynn and Trump leaks, etc. If it's okay for Dems and Mueller to wield the power of Congress, then by God, the Republicans better wake up and return fire, politically speaking. Shields high, Benny. All right, Benny. You're fired up there, my friend. Thank you so much. Please, everybody, do uh, subscribe on iTunes uh, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The show's out every day, 3 Eastern, as you know. So we want to be your drive-time choice across the country for the day's politics and events. We will talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.